1: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. The National Institute on Drug Abuse finds that overdose deaths from prescription drugs and from heroin have climbed dramatically in a 14-year period. Deaths from heroin alone have increased by six-fold to 12,000 deaths in 2014. That same federal agency reports that overall, the trend of illicit drug use among high school students is declining, but a local survey of youth caught our attention. Illicit use of prescription drugs has almost tripled among high school students in southeastern Connecticut as according to the Southeastern Regional Action Council. Today where we live, we wanted to learn more about how students view and use prescription drugs in the context of this national overdose epidemic. A part of the conversation we haven't heard is whether schools should be more involved in the discussion that communities are having with and about our kids. How do you think schools should respond? You can join the conversation. Email where we live at wnpr.org. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Later in the hour we'll hear from educators, municipal leaders, and a mental health professional. But first, Angela Duham joins us by phone. She's community educator at Southeastern Regional Action Council. Angela, welcome to Where We Live.
3: Hello, good morning. How are you?
1: I'm fine. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. Can you tell us a little bit about the council that you sit on?
3: Absolutely. Um, we are a nonprofit located in Norwich, Connecticut, and we were created by Connecticut legislation in 1989. Um, there are several regional action councils throughout the state, and ours down here covers 20 towns in southeastern Connecticut, from Ballentown down to about Old Lyme area.
1: So, you're a community educator. Who else sits on this council?
3: Um, we have a director, Michelle Devine. We have a program coordinator, Ray Allen Bergman, and epidemiologist, Christine Muskell. And
1: what's the point of the
3: council? So the council was designed to, in order to address the local needs and gaps across um, lifespan. It can be youth and adults as well um, in substance abuse for local towns. So we work with each town to help create a little local coalition, provide with them with some mini um, mini-grants that they can use to start doing prevention efforts and building their own local efforts to address their issues in each one of their towns.
1: And part of the work you do is surveying uh, the local students. Tell us about this recent survey.
3: Absolutely. So we've been doing um, youth surveys in the schools for almost about a decade, Um, and so as now we've been able to collect data for a while, uh, we've been able to organize it in a more systematic way. And one of the things that we have is a uh, federal drug-free communities grant which allows us to target eight communities in southeastern Connecticut. So we pulled together some data in 2014 in order to apply for that grant, and uh, this past year we've been looking at what has changed in the last year or two. Um, The survey is about, um, for this this survey, is the 3,299 students. And what we did see was um, we had set goals to address alcohol and marijuana, and those rates did rise, um, come down. Uh, as we predicted and hoped for, but the um, prescription drug use actually rose, um, which was something that was a little bit surprising for us, I guess.
1: So it's interesting. So alcohol and marijuana use, according to this uh, the kids surveyed, that's actually declined. But in terms of illicit use of prescription drugs, that has risen. Yes, indeed. And so what do you do with this information? I mean, that you said that was surprising.
3: It was a little surprising for us. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to bring the rates down that we have, but a lot of our efforts for, since we have been around for quite some time, um, a lot of the efforts we have done have been around alcohol and marijuana use. Um, so to see the alcohol rate come down, especially with a lot of attention on the risks of driving, the risk of alcohol overdose, and the effects on the teenage brain, um, we do see that you know, maybe those things are making a difference. Um, Right now, so because we didn't really expect to see the rate of prescription drug misuse rise, we are in the process of reworking our action plan. We do have three years left of our federal drug-free communities grant. And so since our priority had really been alcohol, marijuana, and then prescription drugs, we're going to shift that now because beginning October 1st will be our new federal year for the grant. And so we're going to put some more efforts into the prescription drug misuse.
1: We're talking to you in the context of the fact that uh, overdose deaths among, for opioids, including uh, heroin, have increased or you know, dramatically in the last decade or so. And so is this concerning to you as someone in the Norwich community that you're hearing from youth who um, are misusing prescription drugs and, and the fear of what they will move on from at that point?
3: Absolutely. Um, we have been, you know, as a regional action council, we respond to whatever concerns are going on. So with a lot of the opioid issues that have happened in the last year to the last 18 months, we have been doing forums and education specifically on that um, for the overdoses in education, you know, distributing Narcan, doing Narcan training, education around that. Um, but this was the first data to really kind of come through to support that, the link that we talk about, prescription drugs, painkillers, then it being a transition at some point to heroin, this was the first time that we actually had local data with youth to really support all that, so it really does reaffirm the things that we've been learning and training and sharing um, from the national the state level and hearing, so um, it is, so I mean it definitely connects to the heroin um, overdose epidemic and all of those issues as well.
1: This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchal. I'm speaking with Angela Duhame, community educator at Southeastern Regional Action Council. Uh, They did a recent survey that found students in that region um, say that, uh, or they say that they've been misusing prescription drugs, and that has actually tripled just in the last couple of years. You know, Angela, I was curious. you, You mentioned a lot about education. How do you work with the local schools in the Southeast region?
3: The biggest way we've been working with schools in the last couple of years, which has really been a wonderful partnership more, is that we've been coming in and doing professional development opportunities. Um, So a lot of, we we did a few at the end of the year. We have a few lined up right now. Um, So a lot of the schools are contacting us and having us come in, doing a brief session on warning signs, risk signs, um, things that you might need to know about prescription drugs or drugs in general, because we do current drug trends. And I always like to reemphasize that we're talking about the entire picture of substance use. Youth are not often starting off with prescription drugs. It might be alcohol is their first thing that they use. So, And we talk about the whole mental health risk piece of it. So doing trainings around those issues has been our biggest thing. And then, of course, following up with the, the surveys, having conversations, and then working with the school systems to look at their curriculums, identify an evidence-based curriculum, look at some sort of improvement in the health plan and the health curriculums as well.
1: And what is the challenge to reaching students? I mean, I remember when I was in high school years ago, you know, we would have uh, presentations and public speakers come in. Uh, but how effective is that? Is there a different approach that needs to be uh, taken in schools?
3: There are definitely different approaches. I think people across the field of prevention look at it as, you know, we, right now we've been looking at environmental change and larger scale changes around policy and school policies. And I think you have to have a multitude. Of approaches, um, for some youth, the fear and the harm and the consequence of using a substance is going to definitely affect them and resonate with them. However, from, for others, it's going to be that they're coping, they're dealing with stress, undiagnosed mental health, maybe some trauma, abuse, things that have gone on at home, and they're using substances to cope. And then there are personalities that have high-risking behaviors and it's sort of just natural and so they're not having any healthy ways of taking risk-taking behaviors and so substance use is something that, that they might gravitate. You have to, I really have to use a, I encourage communities to use a multitude because every person and every family is different and so this one strategy fits all will not work.
1: I was curious about the questions that you used on your survey. You know what are the prescription drugs that um, these students say they have misused?
3: The number one, so we ask it um, if they've ever misused a prescription drug or they ever use a prescription drug that is not prescribed to them. So we do know that it's a, more of a question around diversion. Um, it's not a prescription that they themselves, is in their name, and then they are given a list of the different types, and the top one being pain medications, which would include your opioids. Um, and that does come back as the top of the categories. And then there's the downers, um, benzos, relaxants, those types of things. And then there's um, uppers. So we we do know that you're misusing uppers as well, Adderall, Ritalin, and then um, tranquilizers as well as the other category.
1: Does the survey get very specific and ask them how they obtain these prescription drugs?
3: We are not there yet, no. That's probably a next step. Mm -hmm.
1: Also in studio with us is a school board member from the town of Branford, John Prince. He's also a parent of two, two sons. John, welcome to Where We Live.
4: Thank you, Lucy.
1: I'm interested in your perspective as a, a Board of Ed member in the town of Branford. You know again we're talking about um, how um, students are misusing prescription drugs and you know there is research that shows many of them move on to to heroin and so when you hear that in the context of, of what's happening around our country um, you know if we drill down to the local level what's the role of, of the Board of Ed in
4: all of this? Well. It- I really appreciate the previous uh, guest's comments about partnership. I think that's really a key. Um, It's not something that uh, one entity can be responsible, um, and certainly teachers already have a lot to do uh, and administrators. But from a Board of Ed's perspective, a policy that is strong and that promotes a culture in the district where staff are aware and have been trained properly to be sensitive to changes in their students because they do spend a lot of time with the kids in school um, is really critical. Um, I think one of the, t- so one of the top issues from the standpoint of what we can do um, is to keep our students really meaningfully engaged as at, at all times, which means offering a huge variety and diversity of programs and uh, enrichment opportunities where kids can excel and have uh, develop a high level of self-esteem and then also learn about the consequences of messing with your brain and messing with your performance and your ability to do things as well as you now know you can. Um, Brantford has a partnership that we got a grant from AT&T, a $10,000 grant, where the counseling center, the police department, the local YMCA, the schools, um, I believe the businesses are going to be involved, um, are going to meet and do the kind of comprehensive approach townwide, where it's a wall-to-wall kind of coverage. So the, the, the multiplicity of approaches is really key.
1: And that's something that's new, that you're just starting.
4: There has been one meeting of the steering committee, and, yeah, we're – oh, I must add also that a parent who has had um, experience in this area um, is also part of the steering committee. So there's real experience on there. Yes, it is pretty new.
1: And then just traditionally, when we look at uh, the local boards of ed – they're the ones that come up with the policies in terms of if a, if a student is found to be using um, a substance, or, you know, or abusing drugs, like whether it's zero tolerance or... Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, that's where the policy really is is important. Uh, zero tolerance is a tough thing to, to be positive about. Uh, I think it's more important to be caring and to be aware um, and to help students understand uh, that... There are consequences, and that they may have a second chance. That doesn't mean that it's there's no discipline involved, or there are you know that that's part of the consequences picture. Um,
1: How have you talked? I, mean, I had also inter- introduced you as a parent of two sons. How have yeah. you talked to your boys?
4: Well, they're both pretty well grown up and finishing their advanced degrees right now. One <laughs> just did, actually. So, uh, and I, I think we got pretty lucky. I we did a good job. My wife. Is, Uh, Certainly responsible for a good part of that. Um, One of the things we did when they got to a point in their lives where they were going out independently was as they leave the house, besides I love you, uh, would say to use good judgment and let them know that that was something that was on them. Um, So however deeply that took effect, uh, it seemed to work. Uh, I know that. We heard from them about things that were going on in school. Um, it makes me also, th- those are, that's my direct experience. We also, I think it's important, we have student board members. And we made a very concerted effort um, to engage them in things more than just what are the sports activities, what are the next dances. Come. We really engage them in our committee discussions, and we hear from them. Uh, when you give them license to talk about things that are happening in the building and they know that it's meaningful, uh, they talk about those kinds of things. So that's going to be an important part of what we do as well, is to make sure the student voice is part of the picture.
1: I'm speaking with John Prince, who's a Board of Ed member in the town of Brantford. On the phone with us was Angela Duhame, community educator at the Southeastern Regional Action Council. Angela, thank you so much for joining Where We Live. No problem. We're speaking about substance abuse among youth and asking what role schools should play in this discussion. Does your school district address this issue adequately? You can join the conversation. Comment on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Stigma surrounds addiction, but lately there have been many community conversations happening in Connecticut about substance abuse. Sadly, these conversations are driven by sobering statistics. Thousands nationwide are dying from overdoses on opioids and heroin. In Connecticut, fatal overdoses more than doubled from 2012 to 2015. A couple of years ago, I reported a three-part series for WMPR on substance abuse among teens. And a fact that has stayed with me, nine out of ten adults who are suffering from addiction say they began using alcohol or drugs when they were adolescents. Earlier in the show, we heard about a survey of high schoolers in southeastern Connecticut that found use of illicit prescription drugs has tripled. The findings made us wonder how schools today are involved in prevention and what, if anything, should they be doing? In studio with me is John Prince, who's a board of Education member in the town of Branford and John, I wanted to turn to you before we get to our other guests. Um, you mentioned that, that you have the student voice um, as part of the, the board of ed's work and i'm I'm curious about you know what they're telling you in terms of um, you know why their peers may be using prescription drugs or what they need from adults to help them um, so that they're not making that bad decision. Mm.
4: They're really not telling us anything about that at this point because we uh, discussions that we have are pretty well compi- confined informally but formally to items that are on the agenda. And we haven't really addressed this as a topic on an agenda, uh, either a committee meeting or a full board meeting yet. I do think that it's, it's now going to be part of an upcoming an agen- uh, agenda agenda certainly after the school year starts and we get our kids uh, into the routine of coming to the committee meetings, um, that's something we will talk about.
1: Has there been a reluctance in the community to to talk about it with students in a very candid way?
4: No, not at all. We've uh, we've already had one community-wide forum. Uh, I did not attend it, but I heard about it and it was very well attended and um, quite effective. Uh, And I think it really led to the development of this steering committee for the Yes, we're called. We haven't even named it yet. That's how new it is. It's a prevention council. So, and I do believe students will be a part of that. Uh, and I've, I'm i looking forward to hearing from the students. It's tough when your kids are no longer in the schools. Um, I still do have contact with a lot of kids because I'm involved with an arts program. And um, so... They will, they will be uh, participants in this conversation for sure.
1: I wanted to bring into the conversation uh, Michelle Sember. Uh, she's a resident uh, in Brantford, and she actually spoke on her show just a few months ago. Michelle, welcome back to where we live. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm doing well, and you know, part of the reason we um, wanted to focus on this discussion today is something that you had said to us uh, when you appeared just a few months ago about the role of schools. Can you um, reiterate that for the listeners um, who are listening right now?
5: The role role of
1: schools in terms of dealing with substance abuse in the community.
5: Uh Uh-huh. Well, I think the schools, especially in the suburban area, I don't think they acknowledge that there is a problem. Um, And I'm trying to get more awareness into that.
1: And you have a a unique perspective because um, you've been very open about um, one of your sons' struggles with addiction.
5: Yes. Yes, I have. Um, And, you know, in the schools, I just we just seem that they um, they hope that nothing goes wrong that they seem to be reactive than proactive
1: and um, can you talk about you said that you're trying to get more awareness um, is it hard and when you say that you know schools aren't really focused on this is it hard to get them to think about a, a different way of, of educating students about you know the dangers
5: yes um, I'm cons- I know that there's going to be committees and, and uh, boards to... But it actually takes a long period of time to get these committees going. I would really like to get real people real life into the schools to see actually what how it affects you know people in our community and stuff a face with the
1: addiction. Anne Gruenberg is actually on the phone with us now, President of the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education and welcome to where we live. Thank you and thank you for
6: addressing this really important topic.
1: So we were hearing from a parent in the town of Brantford. Um, Again, she's got a personal connection uh, to this issue, but um, she was saying that it is difficult to get schools um, to talk about uh, what's going on recently with uh, the opioid uh, epidemic that's sweeping our country. From the um, Connecticut Association of Boards of Education perspective, um, what conversations are happening in our local schools?
6: you've addressed the issue of policies and the fact that school systems do have policies where required statutorily to have policies. I think the, the sort of heartbreaking um, uh, circumstance when when an individual, when a student is involved with um, drug abuse, is it it's very difficult to deal with across the board in a whole range of communities. And I appreciate the, um, you know, Michelle's perspective in terms of the suburban um communities because it's very easy for people to stereotype and assume that it's just an urban issue. Um but it's most definitely suburban and also rural and um and you know we're definitely seeing an increasing prevalence because of possibly in part because of the accessibility and also the degree to which opioids are highly, highly addictive. So if you know if there are like pills hanging around the house it's a, an easy gateway. I do think schools are doing a lot, and again, we're required to to address the issues, but the, the degree of effectiveness is another story. I mean, we don't want to just jump through the hoops or do, you know, what is mandated. Um, I think, like, having a sincere commitment to to truly addressing the issues, and, and John was talking earlier about the partnerships, um, you know, it definitely is not just, Uh, an issue or problem that can be addressed by any single entity. It has to be a a partnership between and including families and including students so that they're actively involved. And um, one of the issues just developmentally, you know, for high school students is that that sense of invulnerability, you know, that, well, it's not going to happen to me. You know, I heard about somebody having an overdose or, or dying from an overdose. And that perception that you know, it's somebody else's problem, but it's not mine. Communication is a huge issue. So that's not, um, you know, it's hard to, to monitor the degree to which that's happening, but certainly having a, a climate, like a social climate that is conducive to healthy communication makes a huge difference so that we're really focusing on prevention. and um, And then when a situation is already occurring, to be able to, have access to intervention to to decrease the stigma associated with it and some of that is qualitative you know it but but some of it is also structural you know how the infrastructure does or does not support um, uh, healthy development definitely focusing on on healthy options rather than just reacting to the difficulty but i i'll tell you a personal story i mean 25 more than 25 years ago some, like a family friend who was younger than I actually died of um, addiction. And um, and both of his parents were doctors. So, I, you know, I think um, definitely we need to move past the stereotype.
1: You mentioned from a Board of Ed standpoint, you know, there are policies that you have to have. Yes. Um, but in terms of, you know, obviously those policies often have zero tolerance, but is there a downside to talking about... Um, The risk of of addiction in schools, um, does that, the perception become reality at some point? Uh,
6: So I just want to make sure I'm understanding your question. And I have the radio in the other room, which (laughs) is like slightly unsynced with what you're saying. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm
1: uh, just. I'm curious with board of ed um, policy. Obviously, zero tolerance is a big part of that. But is there a downside to talking about um, substance abuse in schools? Does perception—if kids think, oh well, when I get to high school, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be going to school with a lot of kids that are doing drugs—I mean, does perception at some point become reality? Well, I I hear what you're saying, and I I share the concern. I think there's there is a a,
6: a potential for like so much focus on this topic to actually um, become a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that people see this as like almost normalizing mm-hmm. the process of addiction. Um, and, and also when, when peers are affected, you know, they're communicating with, with their friends and like everybody's doing it and, oh, come on, you know, like the, the sort of peer pressure to do it, those can be factors. I, I do think that overemphasizing it, does have a potential downside, but, but the, the risk of, of dismissing it or, or um, denying the extent of the issue also has a downside. So finding a, a, a balance, you know, so that the issues are being addressed and particularly reducing the stigma about communicating um, around these issues, that, that's very, very important so that families and students can communicate with each other and also communicate with school personnel, and, and there there's really a team effort that's effective in addressing this, and, and the, the uh, prevention cannot be overstated. I mean, it's just so, so important to, to try to um, engage students in meaningful ways. Um,
1: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I'm speaking with Anne Gruenberg, president of the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. We're talking about substance abuse in our communities, specifically how schools should respond uh, to this discussion. Uh, Should they be doing more? You know, Anne mentioned the importance of partnerships. We have the uh, First Luckman of Ridgefield, Connecticut on the phone, Rudy Marconi. Welcome to Where We Live.
2: Thank you. Welcome.
1: So tell me about uh, the work that um, you're doing through the Connecticut Council of Municipalities in terms of of talking about substance abuse uh, in our communities.
2: Well, CCM, the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities, represents around 160 municipalities in the state of Connecticut and does a lot of our lobbying workforce in Hartford when there's legislation being passed that will impact each and every one of our communities. And several years ago, I raised the question at a board of directors meeting concerning opiates and the problems in the communities. And we got an incredible response that everyone uh, was aware of it. And that's how CCM uh, began its efforts to bring awareness to the municipalities and to let the chief elected official know that they must play a role in a partnership role with the board of education in the community. It's a very, very serious issue. This year alone, in 2016, we are expecting 832 overdose deaths, 832. We now lose more people to overdose than we lose to motor vehicle accident fatalities on our highways. And I think that statistic alone should have people stand up and say, wait a minute. What is going on through all the efforts that have been made over the years, Lucy? Have we helped? Yes, we have, but we're falling behind. We are not winning this war at all, and it's a very serious issue for a lot of people. And it's a tough topic to talk about. Multiple kids, uh, young people in rehabilitation, uh, come out, relapse. Unfortunately, ends up in an overdose. Overdose, but at the school level, at the middle school level, when kids at 12 years old, by the way, which is the average age of experimentation, not only here in Connecticut, but across the United States, when they are exposed to that drug, challenged through peer pressure, or what have you, that's the beginning. And although not every heroin addict uh, smoked marijuana, Um, the gateway to that is the issue Mm -hmm. and this year we're looking at the possibility of the legislature entertaining the legalization of marijuana so while we're trying to figure out ways to create educational opportunities to make our children more aware of the consequences of alcohol and substance abuse the legislature on the other hand is starting to look at can we gain tax revenue from legalizing marijuana, like they did in Colorado, where they're now generating about one hundred and twenty-five million, there's going to there are going to be societal consequences.
1: Can I so, ask you, Selectman Marconi, sure, um, because sure. you are um, you know obviously a, a town leader in Ridgefield? I mean, how are your schools uh, focusing on this issue of substance abuse? What more needs to be done there?
2: Well, every four years we do, it's called the Search Institute. It's a survey of, uh, you can go either from the middle school through high school or from ninth grade through twelfth, and you do a survey, and you'll get answers back, and it gives you a general trend, and idea. Now, are there some answers in there that are fictitious just to try and throw the testers? Sure, there's always that component. And if you get over 10%, it kind of nullifies your survey, so... We've been below that, <laughs> excuse me, so we feel confident that we're getting relatively decent information. We're getting an idea of what's going on. But the best way to do it is to work with the parents. Mm-hmm. You need to make parents aware of what exposures their child is going to be experiencing. And we started a program for parents of fifth grade children who are going into the middle school years. Our middle school is six, seven, and eight and what they will be exposed to and the challenges. And you first need to educate the parents so that the parents understand where the influences are going to come from, what they're going to look like, how they can notice behavioral changes in their children, whether they withdraw, whether they study less, whether they're doing something else. These are all signs that can help parents be better equipped, more tools in their toolbox to be parents to help raise safe children there's no question that you can keep your child away from alcohol and drugs up to 19, 21 years old, that person has a tremendous chance of never having an issue. And we need the parents to help. Mm-hmm. So here in Richfield, we have our local prevention council that is through DEMIS, which is the Department of Mental Health Addiction Services. Uh, we also have a local psycho- uh, doctor who started something called Project Resilience to help build resiliency in our kids. We have multitude of speakers that come through on a regular basis that we expose our children to. And our health classes are beginning to focus more on the issues surrounding, um, you know, substance abuse and, and the devastating consequences you can suffer. It's a tough group to get to because someone mentioned earlier in the program that at that age of 16, 17, and eighteen you have a sense of invincibility that if you're going to try something once it's never going to have uh... never-ending consequences for you and you're going to experiment and that's the difficult part of it mm-hmm. so we need parents to really be involved really communicate with your children we need a lot more education on this at the school level for both the students and the parents And I think then you will begin to see uh, some changes, but it's going to take a while. The biggest issue with the opiates happens not during the high school years, but as soon as they're out of high school at that 18, 19, 20 level through college into their 20s. That's a huge
1: Oh, I think we lost Selectman Marconi. Um, we'll try to uh, get him back on. Uh, but I wanted to turn to our, our Board of Education uh, member here in the town of Brantford, uh, John Prince. Can you uh, respond at all to um, what the Selectman was saying from Ridgefield about how um, the, the, the buck really stops with with the parents?
4: The parents are clearly a critical part of the picture. Um, they need. There needs to be clear communication about district policies and positions. I think parents should have um, a real understanding about what they need to do when they are prescribed medication that may be available in the medicine cabinet or around the house and have a real honest discussion with their children about Why do I get this prescription? What does it do? What is it for? How does it make me feel? And I'm a grown-up and you're a child, and this could happen to you if you want to play with this stuff. Uh, I mean, here are the kinds of consequences if you um, find your way into my medicine cabinet. Um, Really, the the point that I want to make, though, is along the lines of how we – treat the children who serve on our Board of Ed as Board of Ed representatives. I thought of it as a kind of insult to their time and their intelligence to only ask of them what's happening in sports, what's happening, you know, what's the next dance? Because their voice is really important in this whole, in the bigger picture, in the scheme of things. So the kinds of information that we deliver in the schools needs to take that approach as well and not be, we're going to have a speaker today who's going to talk to you about opioids. Mm -hmm. No, you need to really engage the children, hear from them, let them test their understanding, and not be afraid to explore the realities of this and not just kind of the Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs Mm -hmm. approach.
1: I want to turn back to Ann Gruenberg, president of the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. Before we get to break, um, Ann, a a statistic that really struck me from the Connecticut School Health Survey in 2015, where 28.5% of kids said that they were offered, sold, or given a prescription drug while on school property. And so I'm curious if you could talk about the relationship between schools and law enforcement, and is there enough communication there um, when we're dealing with this issue?
6: That's a, a good question. Um, uh, well, and, you know, I think the, the importance of collaborating, for schools to co- collaborate with other community organizations, including law enforcement, is very important under a whole range of circumstances. Um, in, in terms of drugs, um, you know, it, it gets back to the school climate. And if students are being meaningfully involved in healthy choices, they may be far less uh, likely to, to do what you're um, describing. Uh, it, 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 again, it's a balance. And when, they're, when students have a, a clear sense of the potential consequences of their actions, they may be less likely to engage in in what you're describing, when it's on school property, I mean, you know, there it brings up um, legal issues in terms of um, searches of lockers, and um, you know, I, I think some schools have taken very vigorous, um, proactive, uh, or even aggressive uh, measures to monitor what's going on with students. But I think the the uh, approach. Of being uh, preventative, and you know, again, really focusing on on the potential consequences, really to engage students in understanding the consequences of their own behavior, which includes the potential for them to hurt their friends mm-hmm. by um, sharing or, or offering substances to their friends on school property. Um, so clearly the schools have a responsibility to monitor what's going on in the school, but, um, you know, hopefully it that doesn't mean that there will be a police state in the school. And, and that it's a, it's a fine line sometimes, but having, you know, really clear, uh, messages. Um, I think there's another issue that, um, is, is like part of the picture that hasn't really been addressed is, is involves the, the, Relationship between prescription drugs, which are relatively easy to access, and, and then very, very dangerous um, boutique types of drugs that are deadly. And you know, so when students start with something and then they they move into something else, it it just is a very slippery slope. and so- Ann,
1: I'm sorry, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to just turn that question to back to Selectman Marconi from the town of Ridgefield. Um, your your take on the collaboration between schools and police we just have a couple of minutes
2: well it's it's certainly gotten better, but there are some laws that prevent the correct Collaboration from taking place in terms of the sharing of information there is information that the schools may have about certain individuals and that information uh, that they're prevented from sharing that information and I hear this from our police chief a lot and uh, they although they work very closely they need a review of the laws that exist today to make that communication a lot better we have SROs in all of our schools well in our middle yeah, just about every one of our schools and that has been a big help for us, the student resource officers. So the law is playing its role uh, to the best of its ability. But to wrap it up quickly, I would say legislation prevents them from doing the type of work they need to do.
4: So here's a novel way to involve uh, law enforcement. It's a trauma-informed approach to being proactive um, police departments, and we do this in Brantford, um, without divulging names or information, can call the school administrators on Monday morning and say, "Just want to let you know we had a call at such and such an address. There are students at that address. Kid might have had a rough weekend. Um, you may, you need to be aware of that because behaviorally, you're going to find, you're going to see evidence that there was a tough uh, time for this kid." And, you you know, this child may be at risk for doing things that – the kinds of things we're talking about.
1: Well, we're almost out of time. So I want to, again, thank John Prince, who was just speaking there, Board of ed uh, Education member at the uh, town of Branford. Also, selectman Rudy Marconi from the town of Ridgefield. And Ann Gruenberg, president of the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. Thank you all for your time. When we return, we're going to actually hear about an approach that the schools in Litchfield, Litchfield County, are taking. This is where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about substance abuse among high school students. Joining us on the phone now is Donna Campbell, Executive Director of Greenwood's Counseling Referrals. Hi, Donna. Hi. So we're hearing about a program that Greenwood's Counseling Referrals is, is rolling out with Litchfield Public Schools. Can you tell us about it? I sure can. Um,
0: we're very excited to do this. We, A lot of schools have worked very hard on mental health and substance use disorder kinds of services, but they tend to be very fragmented. And schools are not in the business of mental health, but they really need to be. And so I think what's refreshing about this approach is it's very comprehensive. We're looking at the school and, and children in, in a total way. So that we're looking at, you know, 40% of kids in, in the schools are in trouble educationally. And, and if you look at those issues, they're, they go beyond substance abuse and look at the social, emotional, and psychological functioning of kids.
1: And so oftentimes if someone's struggling with substance abuse, there's a, a mental health disorder as well? Well, it's more psychosocial. It could mm-hmm. be mental health. But I think when you look at 40%
0: of children who are in bad educational shape, they're mm-hmm. very vulnerable to substance use disorders because they're struggling. And when you're struggling, you're looking for something to kind of kill the pain. Substance use disorders don't exist in a vacuum. And for many kids, there's trauma, there's poverty, there's problems at home, there's issues with their own health.
1: So um, starting this school year, what will Greenwoods be doing in collaboration with the public schools to reach all of the, the students there?
0: Well, we're trying to take a whole a universal approach. So we're working with parents and kids. So we'll have groups for parents we're doing a needs assessment with them to determine what they'd really like to talk about and rather than kind of going in with a, you know, a top-down approach. And with the kids, what we're trying to do is build a system that they want to attend. It's not singling out children that we feel need to have a label, um, but rather offering something that they want to do. So they would be approached by mentoring other kids um, and learning the psychosocial and sort of resiliency skills they need and then passing those on.
1: Yeah, how difficult was it to roll out a, a program like this? Because, you know, obviously schools are in the business of teaching. They're not thinking mm-hmm. about mental health. So. It's very
0: difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked in a lot of school systems, and it's, it's always seen as a sideshow, really, to the business of teaching kids and, you know, preparing them for test-taking. But I have to say, the school system in Litchfield is very, it's refreshing. They really look at the kids in a holistic way and they don't see this as something that they have to do. It's something they want to do. That makes it a lot easier. And um, they understand that we need to really integrate the curriculum as part of the school day and not something, again, that's segmented out for special needs
6: children.
1: Well, what's happening in Litchfield County that's that's, um, informing the public schools this is something that's needed? Well, I, I think schools understand that, but again,
0: they, they tend to have a lot of services. So the psychologists in the schools, the school-based clinics, but they're all sort of very segmented. And what we're hoping to do is create a culture that has psychosocial intervention as a part of the deal. You know, it's not just something that's added on.
1: We got a tweet from a listener, uh, Donna. Um, they ask, what, do, what to do about teens who abuse prescription drugs because their parents do? What about whole family care? Well, that's
0: really important. That's why this, what we're trying to do involves family intervention. And so there's actually three levels. You know, there's the prevention component, there's an intervention level when you see things coming up, and then there's the sort of the crisis level where their problems have already, you know, taken on a kind of significant part of the family, and that's when you really have to get people into care. And that's pretty much our job. I mean, Greenwoods is all about access to mental health services and we are kind of the match.com of mental health. People come to us looking for service. We have a network of private practice providers so we see people and then we match them to the best therapists in our network and when finances are a problem we have a program that gives some help for paying for that service.
1: I'm talking with Donna Campbell, Executive Director of Greenwoods Counseling Referrals. Uh, Greenwood, Greenwoods is launching a program with Litchfield Public Schools uh, to provide mental health uh, education to students in those schools. Donna, if you could walk us through um, exactly um, the curriculum that you, that you that Greenwoods will be working on with the schools uh, to reach these students.
0: Well, we're, we're, I think the, one of the last speakers talked about a trauma-informed approach, and that's what we're using. Um, There's a number of evidence-based approaches we're discussing with the school system right now, and we haven't determined which one we're using because we're still looking at the age range of kids to start with. This is really a pilot. Um, One of the good things about where we're working is that the junior high school and the uh, high school are in the same building.
3: Mm.
0: So we're hoping that as young as we can reach the kids, it's really much better as they've transitioned, then the program becomes part of their day. Um, But there's a number of trauma-informed approaches. And, again, we're looking at an active parenting of teens, uh, a program called Dignity Diplomats. There's a number of things we're looking at that have been tested.
1: And what about cost? I mean, how are you able to
0: do this? Well, we're very lucky. We got a grant from the Connecticut Community Foundation, and a private donor stepped up with a significant grant to do this for us. So we're extremely lucky. Um, Greenwood relies totally on private donations for its work and um, we have some very generous sponsors.
1: You said this is a pilot, so after a year, you're going to look at um, what's been accomplished, and then where do you go from there? Well, we go back to some
0: foundations and hope that people realize the importance of this work. I mean, this is going to be tested. The first semester, we're really going to be fine-tuning things, and then the second semester, taking some lessons learned and then going into the next year. We should have enough funds to go for three semesters, and then, you know, we hope we can entice others to support us
1: anything like this being done in, in other school districts around the state?
0: I'm sure there are. I mean, I really don't know enough to say exactly what's going on, but I, what I do know from my own experience, which is um, too many years to count, is that these these programs tend to be very segmented again, and I think it's partially the way schools are constructed. The culture has to change. Um, when you're focused on teaching, you, you see everything else as something that's distracting. Um, it has to be a school system that really wants it, and families that really want it. And I think we've just been very lucky to find a school system that w- that does. And I think what we're trying to learn from this is how to instill that sense of urgency in other schools without making it a crisis. Um, kids don't use drugs just because they're in somebody's cabinet. Kids use drugs because of killing pain, and because it's fun. Mm. And but risk-taking behavior, again, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Not every kid's going to go into their parents' pharmaceutical supply and take drugs. It's a certain kind of kid that does that.
1: You know, I just uh read a statistic from the Connecticut um health survey that's does that's been done through the Department of Public Health and you know twenty eight percent of kids say that they've actually obtained or been offered a prescription drug at on school property. Right. And well, so that's you know
0: where they congregate. So that's mm-hmm. where drugs get distributed. That's not new, by mm-hmm. the
1: way. But I that think- it, it speaks to the the reason why prevention Education is key, right? So right, understand. absolutely.
0: I mean, I think, but by the time the kids are in high school, they've already been offered drugs. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like it's the first time.
1: I want to take a quick call, Jessica from New Haven. We're just—we've got about a minute. Can you tell us your question or comment?
3: Yeah, I'm a former high school educator in a district close to these guys, and I just wanted to know how you're including the teachers in these conversations. Because it's oh, great to hear the boards are doing, the administration, but. I'm not confident it's always trickling back down to the
1: educators. All right, great point, Jessica. That's an
0: excellent question, and it's absolutely a part of the program. The faculty are involved, and they also have access to they'll be in some of the parent groups. In, we also we're doing special groups for the teachers. So, yes, that's really important. Thank you for bringing that up.
1: So you'll be working um, with uh, teachers and getting their perspective on what they're seeing and absolutely. the training that they need?
0: Absolutely. And all of the, the sort of support staff that kids go to school nurses, lunch people, janitors. I mean, it really has to be a cultural thing, it has to be everyone.
1: Well, I want to thank Donna Campbell, Executive Director of Greenwoods Counseling. Later this month, Greenwoods Counseling will officially launch its program with Litchfield Public Schools. So thank you so much for speaking with us. Um, our show is produced by Lydia Brown and Jeff Tyson. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. Special thanks to Executive Producer Katie Tularski today. You can continue this conversation on our website, wmpr.org live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.